Welcome, everybody, to the Creative Curmudgeon. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Mary Fashik, a Georgia-based writer and activist. She is the founder of the movement's Upgrade Accessibility, uh, the host of the podcast, The Politics of Disability, and has a children's book coming out entitled Adventurous Adeline. And before I ask about any of those things, is there anything else that you want the listener to know about you? No, I think you covered everything. Well, fantastic. Um, tell me about upgrade accessibility first and foremost, how how that got started. I believe that Kabali got started because I went to the grocery store with my best friend, my roommate, in 2018. and went to use the restroom, and my motorized wheelchair did not fit in the accessible stall. It barely, barely fit in there. I have maybe one to two feet to transfer onto a commode. And I came out of that stall and I looked at her and I said, who decides what is accessible for me? I'm tired of non-disabled people deciding what is accessible. And then I said to her, accessibility needs an upgrade. So I went home and I started the hashtag Upgrade accessibility. That was in 2018. I would go around town taking pictures and video and showing what was inaccessible to me. Life got in the way, so that kind of went to the wayside. In December of 2018, I went out with some friends um, for dinner, and my access needs were denied. And because my access needs were denied, I sustained injury. And this was injury on top of my disability and my chronic illness. And I took that anger and frustration, and I took my hashtag, and I made it into a movement in January of 2019. That That's awesome. So basically, upgrade accessibility are... Is, is now kind of a largely like internet movement of like you advocating for for s- certain issues largely in the in the format of kind of condensed like tweet sized like pieces pieces of information it didn't start out that way what right. it started out as was I was DMing individuals in the disability community and saying Hey, will you share your story of inaccessibility with me so I can put it on my platform? And then the pandemic happened and everything shifted. And I began to understand more about disability rights, more about disability justice. I I develop a deep knowledge of intersectionality and now that's what upgrade accessibility is about. Not just physical access, but about disability justice and collective 
liberation and how we're never going to be free until we're all free. That, that's awesome. And I've, I've, I've learned a lot from, from following, uh, following your posts. So, so thank you so much for that. Um, tell me about your podcast, how, how that got started. So I asked about five years ago, I asked, or maybe six now, I said, if I start a podcast, would anyone listen? And I got a good response. But then I had that voice in my head of being told by my adoptive mother and by other people, no one wants to hear you talk. Nobody's going to listen to you talk. That's awful. And I was like, I was like, who's going to sit down and listen to a podcast with someone who sounds like me. Nobody's going to do that. And then, you know, like I said, the pandemic happened, and a lot of things changed in my work, shifted, my focus shifted, and I said, I'm going to start this podcast. And I wanted it to be a platform for those who were like me, who didn't have a platform, who people were saying, how are you going to be on podcast if you're deaf, if you're hard of hearing, if you're nonverbal, how are you going to be on podcast? And I wanted to make sure that those were the people who were going to be on my podcast and not those that have a million followers. It was to give a platform to those who didn't have one. Um, that that's awesome, and I'm sure that like if 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 it's similar to me, then regardless of the listener quantity, that it's just a fulfilling experience to talk about things you want to talk about with people that you think are interesting. So even if there's zero listeners, like this is something I think about, then it's like, oh, well, you're still having like that worthwhile experience. Oh, absolutely. And I am so pleased to know that today my podcast has been listened to in over 60 countries and 1,100 cities. I always call it my little podcast at Kurd. That's awesome. Is there? Uh, I know. You, I know you. You're a big drag race fan, and you've had some uh, some drag race alumni on there. But is there is there a person that's like really like the dream guest that you've that you've interviewed? I, I, that, that's a weird question because it like ranks people, but like somebody that you've been a big fan of prior to it. Absolutely, detox. Like I have been a fan of detox for a long time. And getting to interview Detox was a dream come true. And one of the most interesting and fun interviews that I've gotten to do. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that that's awesome. I I I listened to that and Detox seems awesome. They seem 
a lot nicer than maybe they were made out to be on their on their season with Jinx when they were kind of made out to be like a bully with the Rolaska talks sort of people or whatnot. Tell me about your let's let's move on to the the book. Tell me a little bit about your initial introduction into creative pursuits. And I mean that even going back to being a kid. Yeah, you know, in second grade, you know, <clears throat> in second grade, I'm older, so like, you know, when I was in elementary school, we used to call it a composition. I don't call it that anymore, I don't think. But when I was in second grade, we had to write our very first composition. And I had such a hard time with writing this composition. And I was so frustrated. And my teacher sat down with me and explained to me how to write something. And after that, it just took off. And I have to mention my eighth grade language arts teacher, Barbara Kinas. I have to mention her because I love her. And she was instrumental in encouraging my writing and telling me what a fantastic writer I was. And also Mr. Collins, who was my senior year English teacher. I remember my adopted mother going to him and telling him that she was very worried about how I was going to do in college. And he looked at her and he said, Mrs. Bassett, what are you worried about? She likes like a college student already. And just knowing that that's always been a passion of mine, you know? And I always dream about writing my autobiography or writing a book or, or just being a published author. And now, finally, at 46, here I am. That's awesome. Is, is, the, is the book that's coming out similar to things that you've worked on in the past, or is it a big shift writing something that's kind of more geared towards children? It was a big, big shift for me. Um, I'm a very like dialogue-centered writer, so having to write more prose, write more descriptions, that was a challenge. And then having to think about my audience, right? Because I normally write for adults. I normally talk about disability rights, disability justice. So how do I take those subjects? How do I take the subject of accessibility and tailor it to, to younger readers? So that was definitely a challenge for me. Yeah, I would imagine just with any kind of point that you're trying to um, deliver to kids, it could be very tricky because A, it's like a sensitive topic, obviously. And so there could be, if, if it's if it's anything similar to like my experience of just like writing something that is about a sensitive topic, then there's also like a lot of like anger there 
because of those experiences, but then you're also gearing it towards children who like haven't like learned these concepts yet. It's different than like if, you know, when they're 20 or whatever, they're kind of just like regurgitating bullshit from their parents and, and just society in general. So like, kind of like getting those points across in like a warm hearted way or whatever, if that makes sense, but also like being able to, um, describe your what you're trying to get across in like a very succinct way that's not like talking down to uh to kids uh, I'm, I'm just curious if there was any particular way you went about that or if there was anybody that was particularly inspiring for that well like my my goal was to make sure that kids understood what access needs were like mm -hmm. i wanted to talk about access needs i wanted to talk about you know how even in 2023 disabled kids don't necessarily have access like non-disabled kids and also like talk about the experience of being excluded from things. So it was taking a lot of like trauma, if you will, that I went through growing up and trying to put it in a way that kids would understand, but not just non-disabled kids, but also so that disabled kids would feel seen and heard and feel represented, you know, like, hey, this happened to me before, but, you know, like, so it's a lot of nuance when it comes to, like, writing these subjects, and there were a lot of things that got taken out of the book that, you know, got put in the book that going back and forth on particular language, like not saying able-bodied, but saying non-disabled in the book. And, you know, so it's been a long and difficult process. Yeah, it seems extremely underrepresented. And I've been I've been thinking about this since I since I learned that I was autistic and how just any media that's about that experience is more like, well, you know, Jason's, uh, you know, J Jason's not autistic. He's a person with autism. And because he's not letting autism like hold him back from living his best life or whatever, versus kind of like the more obscure viewpoint of like, you know, fuck you, I'm autistic. And so it seems like that it, it seems like most stuff that's about disability in any way is like that that the, the former it's about like you know it's inspiration it's not letting things like get in your way from following your dreams and being productive and whatnot um i'm gonna take a stab in the dark and i'm gonna say that your book is not that is that a correct assumption that's absolutely correct like my thing about airline is i didn't want airline to be an inspiration i want I want to be a quote-unquote normal kid, you know, but I like one of the things that we get edited into a book 
was about how her wheelchair is an extension of her body. Mm -hmm. And it helps her get around. It does not impede her like other people think. Other people think her wheelchair might stop her from doing things. But yeah, she learned early on it was an extension of her body. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, things like that are so important to put in these books because imagine a parent who has had limited experience with disabled people reading that line about a wheelchair being an extension of a person's body. Like, imagine what that parent is going to think you like have to take a step back and be like, I never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And that and that's kind of the that's kind of the central point of, of the book that you're that you've written. I wanted to talk about so this book has gone through a lot of changes. Um but the one thing that stayed true throughout all of the edits is that going something as simple as going to a party, how when you're disabled is not as simple as going to a party. Mm -hmm. And also Adeline understanding that he doesn't have to that yes, she lives in an inaccessible world, but instead of trying to change herself to adapt to the inaccessible world, trying to change the world around her. Um, tell me about the, I always ask people like what their routines are as far as like, you know, being creative and getting things done or whatever. And a big reason why I do that is because I'm just kind of getting like point of reference because I'm still kind of honestly trying to figure out what works for me the best. Um, because oftentimes if I don't, it's something that I want to do, but if I don't make myself sit down and do it, then oftentimes I, I don't do it. And then if I do that, then I end up feeling like, you know, fulfilled or whatever. But often, more often than not, it seems like people don't have like a set I write between seven and seven thirty or whatnot. It's more of a, you know, life is hectic and, you know, mentally you're not, you may not be there. And so you just kind of like do what you can or whatnot. But I'm curious with you, like for writing this book, did you kind of set aside time each day to do it for a little while? Or was it more like you worked on it when you felt ready for it? So, I had this idea for a while. So I decided to, I have a home office in my apartment. I decided to lock myself in my home office one morning and I sat for about three hours and I wrote the big, I wrote, I want to say about half of the book. And then I came back the next day and I said, okay, well, now you have to finish it. Mm -hmm. So I sat down and I wrote the other half. I work better in the morning 
and you know that, and you know I have to do it when it's quiet. So I pick the time and the day I know it's going to be the most quiet, and I'll come in my office and I'll make myself right. Now that was the initial copy of a book. Again, it's gone through a ton of edits. So when I've had to do an edit, I have to tell myself, okay, you have to sit in front of your computer and do these edits and you're under a certain deadline and I work better. Some people don't work well with deadlines. Mm-hmm. I I thrive on the deadlines. Hmm. Um, like it, it just like gives you that little it, it, that adrenaline rush that kind of like help helps push it forward. Yeah, it kind of like my mind is the clearest when I have a deadline because I know that is the one thing I have to focus on, and mm-hmm. this has to be done. That's just how my mind works. My mind has always worked that way. Give me a week to do something. I cannot do it three or four days ahead of time. The day before, I will get it done one pass, and it will be the best thing I've done or written. Um, you worked with uh with an illustrator on this. I I, I uh I'm. It, is it more like the book is a traditional each, I don't know how to describe this. Each page has a bunch of words and then there's, you know, an illustration, you know, every few pages or, or whatever, versus it being like more of a younger person book where like, there's a, there's a big illustration on like each page and then less text. Which one is, is this book? So it is not a picture book like you were describing. It yeah. is a book that has an illustration every four or five pages. Because we are doing this towards, you know, older you know, older elementary school children. So it's more of a a book kinda of like what when I was growing up like the Judy Bloom book, stuff like that. Um, I know I just did it myself. But, yeah, kind of like that. It, you know, it's more like Babysitter's Club. Again, I'm, I'm dating myself with these titles. But, yeah, it's more more text and, and less illustration. I can tell you from my experience with children, everybody still knows what the babysitter's club book is. So I don't think you're dating yourself too much with that. But uh, what was it like working with an illustrator? Like did you send the illustrator everything finished and then they added stuff from there? So with how things work with my publisher is once my publisher had the manuscript, they send it to the illustrator, and then they would ask me, my editor would ask me certain questions like about Adeline's wheelchair, what do children's motorized wheelchairs look like, mm-hmm. and things like that. So I didn't have, I didn't work directly with my illustrator, I worked mostly with 
my editor on small details, and they will go back to the illustrator. Gotcha. And your book is, I think it's affiliated with Simon and Schuster, if I if I uh, recall correctly. And I it, I think that's a big deal. Uh, and I don't know the first thing about, I also write things. Um, I haven't gotten any, anything published by, you know, a physical publishing company or whatnot, but I don't even know the first thing about like typing something up and sending it to somebody and being like, hello, Simon and Schuster. I, so I'm, I'm curious what that process was like. So my book is through Rojas Publishing. Actually, we penny press which okay. is their children's imprint primary sister will be a distributor mm-hmm. through Rowhouse. Rowhouse went recently went to a sales conference with Simon sister where I picked my book to them and Simon sister was very excited by my about my book. So mm-hmm. they are the ones in charge of distributing my book, but it was through Real House Publishing. Um, I met I met Rebecca through a mutual acquaintance, and I did some consulting work for Real House Publishing, and then I mentioned to Rebecca, "Hey, you know, I really want to write a book." And they were very excited about my idea, and I got a contract, and it usually didn't happen that way. I'm very, very privileged that it happened the way it did. Yeah, con- congratulations. Um, I'm I'm very excited to uh, to read it. And is there any words of wisdom that you want to give anyone who would? also like to write a book? I think just keep writing. Write everything you want to write. And even if it's a letter to your editor at your local newspaper, write it, send it in, get that published, start from where you are and just keep going because... I never thought I would have a book being published. It was always a dream of mine, but I never thought it would become a reality. And yet, here I am. So keep going. Don't give up. I know it sounds corny, but it's true. Just keep pushing forward. Cool. And uh, I asked you in advance, this is a new feature that I that I thought of, and I wish I had thought of this sooner because I'm I'm really curious what past guests would have said. I asked you to pick a film and a book and a song that's been particularly inspiring for you creatively or otherwise. I'll I'll probably play the song. I'll, I'll include it in the in the recording. Um, but uh, what what did you come up with? So for a book, it is. Love by Rio Buscaglia. I read that book in high school for my psychology class. And that book has made such an impression on me. We are talking about 
what, 38, 28, I'm dating myself out, 28 years ago I read that book, and it really changed my life, it made me understand who I was, and that is a book that I go back to very, very often, I love that book, um, a song, probably I want to say My Life by Billy Joel, because everyone has an opinion about who I am, what I should be, what I should be doing, and my favorite line is, you know, about, about, you know, you can speak your word, but not on my time. Like, this is my life, my time, but mind your business. Okay, good song, yeah. And I love... I love that song since I was a kid. So definitely my life. And a film, I know it sounds silly, but my favorite film is A Gentleman Prefer Blondes. Um, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes because of Marilyn Monroe. I love Marilyn Monroe. I'm like, like I enjoy that film. I saw it from my high school. And that film, I've carried it with me since high school. Um, yeah, Meryl and I, we have a lot in common, both being adopted, all of that. Just, yeah, I love that film. And it seems silly, but yeah, I just really love Gentlemen Prefer Bugs. I've, I've somehow never seen it, but I but I will I will try to get on that. Um, you absolutely need to watch it from. Okay, I, yeah. I, will, I will. I will do that as soon as I can. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you for the work that you do. And uh, yeah, it's been great talking today. Thank you so much for having me.
time to come home. 